Welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number 194. My name is Mike Anello, and I'm joined, uh, I'll say this evening, because where I am, it's actually evening. I think, Ryan, where you are, it's uh, late afternoon, Mr. Ryan Price. Hey, hey. And and also here, it stays late until like 8.45 in the evening, so it, like it's never nighttime here anymore. Being Playing a couple a thousand ball. miles north. Is that like a lot of wiffle ball in the evening? That's what I used to do as a kid, late summer nights. Well, I wouldn't know too much. I mean, we did go to a baseball game the other day, and by the time we left, it still felt like four o'clock in the afternoon, and it was clearly like eight something. It was it was pretty crazy. Was it um, like double A or triple A? What what? I don't level know if baseball? it has an, an A rating particularly. It's called the Portland Pickles, and uh, it's a lot of people that are like in the local community college or college teams, and this is what they do, you know, for fun. So, I love the fact that they're the Portland Pickles. It's it's pretty That's just cool. Fun. Their mascot is Dylan, who's a dill pickle. <laughs> it's pretty great. So do the, is it just like a mascot, like on their uniform, or is oh, no, actually I mean, there's, a guy there's dressed a, up as a pickle a dude, running around? And they actually had a going away party for him because he just recently got a job at a university, so he's going to get paid to be the you know lehigh valley whatever it is um instead of instead of dylan and there was a, there was this dude who was clearly a, a booster of some sort that was like screaming at everyone for not giving this guy a standing ovation it was it was pretty epic so are they getting a new dylan or they're gonna get like bread and butter or someone <laughs> i cannot i cannot speak to the dylan or bread and butter <laughs> politics at this time but I would love to find out what the answer is to that question. All right. Well, while you ponder that, um, maybe you do a little bit of research. Let me real quick, just right off the top, let's talk about our sponsor um, for today's podcast is My Drop Wizard. If you um, are looking, if you have a Drupal 8 Drupal, or Drupal 7 or Drupal 6 website and it's all built, um, and maybe you have features now and then, but you really don't want to have to deal with just the regular kind of day-to-day maintenance of the site, as far as you know, debugging maybe performance issues or keeping modules and core up to date, you should definitely talk to the folks at MyDrop Wizard. Um, for a low monthly fee, starting as low as $100 a month, I'm sorry, $99 a month, they will uh, keep uh, Drupal core and contributed modules up to date. They will make sure that the, site, that the site stays online. They will actually answer support questions for core and popular contributed modules. Um, and some plans, they actually also offer um, basic one-off maintenance tasks, like you know, debugging errors, fixing a view, and even like kind of minor theming tweaks as far as you know, colors and positions of things. Um, so you should definitely check out My Drop Wizard. And when you sign up, you get a site audit, the, the guaranteed 24-hour response time on questions or, or, or support questions. They will actually host your site as part of uh, that fee. So while they do work with virtually any host, um, they do have a couple of preferred hosts. And if you wish it to be, they will actually host the site for you, which will make their job even easier, I suppose. And on top of all that, you can try them out for 30 days and get a money uh, back guarantee that you will love their service. So check them out at mydropwizard.com. Okay, so this is the second of kind of the new format Drupal Easy podcast. Um, as we talked about in episode 193, we're going to be alternating interview uh, 
style podcast with news style podcast. And this is the first of our news style podcasts. Um, we're, we're, the goal is to keep these a little bit shorter than our normal four and a half hour podcast <laughs> and get them out a bit uh, more often. Well, yeah, it. it's, it, it, if it takes less time to produce it, then theoretically we can put them out more often and, if there's right. fewer logistics, like if it's only you and I, then it's only you and I. And we put it together in the matter of a couple of hours and not have to like try and figure out everybody's schedules and, you know, exactly. getting guests from other time zones and all this stuff. So I'm, I'm a fan of this as an idea. And um, I've actually fallen a little bit off the wagon of uh, other Drupal podcasts, too. So it gives me an opportunity to stay current. I actually... I got this idea because I, you know, as, as you know, I, I graduated college and hanging out with friends and stuff. The bane of my existence was planning an evening out with more than one friend, right? Because hey, let's go out to the movies tonight. Well, what time is the movie? Or what what time? You know, are we going to go to the movies? Which movie theater are we going to go to? And it was like you're constantly like texting multiple people, trying to figure out everything. I actually, it took me a while to figure it out. But about five years ago, you know, my wife and I said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to basically let people know that, hey, we're going to go to the movies. We're going to be at this theater at this time seeing this movie. We'd love for you to join us. Yep. And it kind of simplifies everything. And that's kind of my my mentality for the podcast as well, is any of, of the six co-hosts um, can set up an interview or, you know, configure a, a rundown for a news podcast and say, look. I have time this week. I'm going to, you know, do a podcast on, you know, Thursday at 10 a.m. Who's available? And as long as one other person is available, and honestly, if, if someone wants to do a podcast on their own, I'm fine for that as well. But I'd say we just, let's just get them out. Let's just get the news out there. We all love talking about Drupal. Let's, let's get the news out there. So, all right. Well, shall we get going, Ryan? Yeah, this first story is very interesting because I feel like I predicted this was going to happen a couple of episodes ago which is Composer as a Service. Uh, there's a blog post at a, I think this is an Italian company called WellNet. And um, I didn't get a chance to watch the video, which actually seems like most of this post is going to be dependent on watching the video. But essentially, uh, this company has created a little uh, software as a service to say, I want to install a Drupal site. I want it to be using this version of that module, and it will, I guess, what, build you a composer JSON file and maybe some other secret features that I don't know about yet because it's in their video. Well, I think it actually goes farther than that. I think it builds a composer file, and then it actually runs composer install and then provides you with you know, a tarball to download. Okay, I was I was wondering so, like what would it like check stuff into your repo or like wow yeah you know, it's, it, it's the alternative to having Composer installed locally and like having to learn Composer commands. So my gut reaction to seeing stuff like this is, is this a good idea? Because it seems to me that and I've been teaching a lot of Composer lately, so to both private and public um, uh, clients. Um, it seems to me it's it could be dangerous because clearly Drupal 8 and Composer go hand in hand. And eventually at some point, we're all going to have to be, you know, and by we, I'm using, you know, 
Drupal site builders, Drupal developers, people who are probably listening to this podcast, we're going to have to learn Composer yep. if you don't already. Um, are tools like this, is this helping or is this just kind of like delaying the inevitable is the way I look at it. I mean, I think to a certain extent, maybe delaying the inevitable or even, I, I think there's maybe even another way to look at it. You know, if, if you're saying like, is this necessary? Like anytime a sort of complicated developer technology comes out with a learning curve, someone makes a GUI for it, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the examples is Git. How many dozens of graphical user interfaces are there to Git? But it turns out you still need to know something about Git in order to use them. You know what I mean? Um, you can make it you can make it easier to use. You could make it more visual. I mean, anything that would make some of these things more visual is probably always a good thing, right? Like not everyone thinks in YAML files and, and JSON files. So I could totally understand they're wanting to be services like this. And I think there's probably a, you know, a good way to do it. And there's probably a sort of a way to do it that wouldn't really save you that much time or energy, you know, like uh, not, not knowing too, too much about the service, not having used it yet. I have, I am optimistic, right? I am optimistic that they have solved some of the, some of the headaches with putting together a composer file. If, especially if, let's say you're the solo developer of this site, you really want to use some Drupal 8 features that require Composer, and maybe you know your main thing is you want to set up a couple of content types and views and put in a theme, but a couple of the modules that you need want Composer, you know, or maybe you really want to use. Uh, you know, the, the beta versions of some, some modules or of Drupal core, like a few weeks before it gets released or you, something like that. I don't know what exactly what your use case is, but you just want to get set up. And, you know, my question, I guess my, the real question is like, if you're going to invest the time to learn how to use this tool, how much longer would it take you to use Composer? Maybe that's the question you're asking. It's like, which one is the better use of your time? See, you said you're optimistic. I am the exact opposite. I'm pessimistic about stuff like this because I am a firm believer that if you if you have to learn a technology, you need to learn kind of the fundamentals of it before you use the fancy UI on top of it. You know, it's like with Git, right? If you just use um, what's a Git Tower, I think that's one of the UIs, or even the, the GitHub UI, um, it'll probably work 90% of the time, but Ultimately, there's going to be something happening where a lack of fundamental knowledge of how the tool works is going to burn you at some point in the future. That's how I feel about stuff like this. Um, I just feel like if Composer was one of those things that was optional for Drupal and it was a nice thing, it's kind of a nerdy thing, but you don't have to use it, then fine. Let's you know, let's, let's build a, a, a tool for it. But Composer is, I mean, it's baked in to Drupal 8. And the, the arrow is only pointing in one direction as far as the number of modules that are going to require Composer to be installed. I just think it's, it's one of those things where as a community, we have to um, not only individually, you know, learn Composer, but we, we kind of want to encourage other, others to use it and, and, and explain that this is a good thing for all of us. It's, it's you know it's another hurdle in the in the in the you know 110 mile you know hurdle race that is Drupal, um, but 
if we try to like take a shortcut around it, ultimately there's going to be, you know, we're going to get, we're going to get burned by, I think. Right. Well, and you know, there, there's also, there's, there's things I think maybe people would want to know about composer that they wouldn't know necessarily by using a tool like this, which is, you know, it, it may be obvious, but if you don't think about it, it's not obvious. Like if you run composer from one day to the next with the exact same file, if you don't have that that lock part of yeah. the composer, then you're actually going to get two different piles of code because any of those projects could have been updated in the intervening time frame, right? Right. And then knowing that the lock file says, as long as this lock file doesn't change, you're going to get the exact same bits both times. Right. Um, I think Drupal dev projects kind of make that a little bit harder um, because you yeah. know, it's, I don't think the dev projects are necessarily i guess i guess that it's gonna get something based on like a hash or whatever but right it gets weird and there's there's all kinds of issues that you have to think about when you're dealing with projects like this so. yeah I, I didn't mean to pick on this blog post I, I just saw this blog post as a good opportunity to me for me to you know go on a to, rant to about stuff like this bang the composer drum yeah because i have been i have been completely turned uh to, to the to the to the light side on this one <laughs> right that well, podcast I, we I guess we could say like if uh, if you're out there if you've used this tool and uh, you have some feedback about it you could send us a tweet or uh, leave a comment on uh, DrupalEasy.com right yep absolutely excellent let's move on to the next story um, the technical advisory committee update this one's from back in April <laughs> it's, it's a while ago but it's still a relevant topic um, and I actually think there's a there's a more recent post. I couldn't find it this afternoon. I didn't have a whole lot of time to look for it. But um, the gist of this post is that the the, the technical advisory committee is evaluating um, different potential tools that the community can use to basically replace our issue queue and our build processes for Drupal.org. Well, this is this is the response to the cry of you know, a few very vocal people that would rather be using GitHub than right. Drupal.org and yep. then us saying, yeah, but GitHub can't. Right. And then there's a list of things that GitHub can't. Right, right. So the Technical Advisory Committee, they actually have been, you know, spending time evaluating um, some other solutions, including GitHub and GitLab, and I'm scrolling through the list right now, and oh, actually the three they're down to are GitLab, GitHub, or custom tooling, which is, which is what we're on now is, yeah, custom. Yeah, modernizing what we have now. Um, and I think, you know, when people hear about it, they're like, they're excited because, yeah, you know, GitHub's awesome. You don't even have to, like, clone it down. You can fork it. You can edit it right in the browser. You can submit a pull request. It's great for onboarding new developers. Um, there's a lot of pros there, but I think what a lot of people forget about with this issue is the Drupal.org build process on the back end. The thing that actually, you know, every night packages up, um, you know, code and provides it as a, as a, as a tar.gz or, or, or a zip file. Um, the, the, you know, the packager that basically, um, puts together, uh, um, distributions as well. So there's all this stuff going on in Drupal.org that's custom that we're not going to get for free with a GitHub um, or GitLab or some other third-party tool. Um, so what's happening right now with this technical advisory committee is they seem to be circling around GitLab, hosted GitLab, 
Um, and I believe the post I couldn't find, I actually, now that I think about it, I think it was actually a post by Mosh. And I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, where they decided that they were going to do a proof of concept um, for hosted GitLab using the code base for the Devel module as kind of the, the guinea pig in all this. Um, but I think it's one of those conversations that, you know, I'd like to stay see stay surfaced in the community so that as many people um, can, that, are, that are interested can get involved and feedback. And um, I think this is one of those things that's going to affect everybody so much that we would be better off getting, you know, a diversity of opinions on the direction that things are going. Yeah, for sure. And, and getting people to really kick the tires too, right. you know, which I think is, uh, that's, that's going to be where any, any plan like this is going to, you know, like be successful or not is the more people get involved and check out the options and alternatives and, you know, put them through a real world test is going to, it's going to help everyone uncover the potential, you know, the gains and the pitfalls, right? Right. I think I read somewhere that this effort is going to be on the scale of the CVS to Git migration effort that our community went through, you know, a few years ago. So it's, I would believe, yeah, it's on that scale of change. We're talking about like, yeah, you know, dozens of person years, right? Yeah. Like, well, and plus keep in mind, we just can't like pull the plug on the current issue queue and, you know, start working, everybody start working on the new issue queue the next day. I mean, we've got, you know, a decade of issues and mm-hmm. comments. You know, we, we just can't like forget about those. So would those be migrated? Would we have to kind of live on two systems? I mean, how would that all work? That's, that's an incredibly complex problem to solve. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, there's questions like, what do you do with like a Drupal 6 projects, right? A whole bunch of projects that only exist on Drupal 6 or below and not on seven or eight. Like, is there even any reason to move those projects? Yeah. A lot of hard questions. So, you know, there's, there's questions for sure. All right. This next story I think is, um, it's out of my wheelhouse, Ryan. And I think it's somewhere closer to your wheelhouse than mine, but I think it's an important one. Yeah. So, um, the, the Drupal core developers have been updating their development practices to sort of, be a little more modern, right? One of the things that we did during the Drupal 8 uh, development cycle was, you know, if you want to work on Drupal core, you have to use Composer, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to use Drupal core, you can still get a packaged version of it. That's okay. Um, For a number of years now, JavaScript developers have not actually written JavaScript. They have been writing in a variety of JavaScript-like languages um, several of them use a standard that's called um, ECMAScript 6, I believe is technically what it, ES6 stands for. You'll just hear people talk about ES6 a lot. Um, and the idea is it's like a more modern syntax for JavaScript. One of the reasons why you can't just switch to using it is, you know, you'd have to have browsers and devices support this new standard. And that can take years for, you know, all the browsers to catch up with it. So as a way of keeping compatible with existing devices and software, you write in this new syntax for JavaScript 
and you run it through a compiler and then that gives you the the vanilla javascript which i think is actually javascript 4 unless i'm making this up maybe it's 5 it might be 5 it was 4 when i started doing web development so that at least it might have been 3 when i started <laughs> doing web development now that i think about it it was a long time ago um but but you basically have to run it through a compiler so if you have ever used sass for writing css this is exactly the same thing right there's this newer syntax that has more features and allows you to work a little bit faster and a little bit more mm, safely let's say a little bit more cross-browsery that kind of thing um but at the end of the day it compiles down to regular old javascript so when you submit a core patch to drupal.org it tells you sort of some of the instructions in the post that we link to about what what sorts of files you need to upload now it'll be a little bit more complicated to submit a, a javascript patch to drupal core but at the end of the day it means that drupal core will be developed using es6 syntax instead of es5 so let me ask a couple questions here that you may or may not have the answers to so i'm i suppose it's safe to assume that there are probably already like gulp and grunt plugins that can kind of just we can slide right into our you know our, our front end development environment for this processing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, these sorts of build processes are really pretty well documented out there. Okay. Um, and then do you know like SAS? The, well, the SCSS version of SAS is backwards compatible with CSS. And this might be you know where we we hit the wall of our knowledge here is. It backwards is ES6 backwards compatible with just kind of plain old vanilla JavaScript. Oh well, yeah, no, I think that's the point, right? Like, right. I can't run a PHP 7 project directly on PHP 5. It's going to be the similar kind of thing like that. Like, if you use one of these new features, there is a there is a transpiler mm -hmm. that will change it from ES6 syntax to ES5 syntax. Right. Okay. All right, very good. Well, this is, I think this is all good. I, you know, I'd love to see, you know, this is kind of one of the reasons why I, I, one of the things that attracted me to Drupal from the very beginning was this, you know, this ability to let go of backwards compatibility. And so the fact that, you know, we are, the community is, is fairly aggressive in adopting new technologies for major versions of Drupal. And, you know, this is kind of in the middle of one we're kind of in this new age we talked about it in, on a podcast um i don't know when that was ryan you and i we talked about when Dries announced like the plan for drupal 9. we're kind yeah. of the, in this new age of, of, of major drupal development um but it's I, I, this is you know for me i think this is nothing but good news i'm sure that um you know core and module developers absolutely love this news well those that are into javascript yeah for sure <laughs> All right, Ryan, I have a site, and it um, we use the Google uh, search appliance right now, and I understand mm -hmm. that's going away. What the heck am I going to do? So, no, there's, there's a couple of different products out there. I believe that if you say Google, there's specifics. Okay. If you say Google search appliance, that still counts. But there's one that was called Google Site Search that sort of like, it literally just looks exactly like Google. So there's a couple different products that Google is offering, but one of them is getting sunsetted mm, within the next year. So 
the, that product is called Google Site Search. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, the question then remains for a lot of clients, people that I work with, people that you work with, now what do you do, right? And I think a, a, a ready answer in the Drupal world for a little while has been Apache Solar, which is listed here, right? And there are different providers that, that have Apache Solar either as a standalone service or as part of their hosting platform, like, um, you know, Acquia and Pantheon. And I don't know for sure if other ones other than those two offer it sort of like kind of out of the box. But then, you know, in reading this blog post, I was interested to see that there are other search providers that are none of the above. And I wonder like if they're actually built on top of other open source projects or not, like they don't say very easily, but one, one that I had looked at is Algolia. And, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at this and I was like, I wonder if this integrates with Drupal. So I, I went down that rabbit hole a little bit and it was like, yes, there is a Drupal plugin for the search API for the indexing, wow. but since their JavaScript library is really pretty good, we recommend that you just plug their JavaScript library in for the user interface. And I was like, huh, that's kind of weird. Like we will index your, your custom stuff, but nobody has bothered to write the UI part because JavaScript, JavaScript is the API of the web now, right? So that's basically saying that we're going to use search API. So we're going to, we're going to create a search API server that links up with the, what's it? I, I keep, I want to say Angola, which is a country and not pretty close. How do you say it? Algolia. Uh, Al is it Algolia? Al Algoria? Algoria? No, Al Gore. No, no. Okay. There's an L in If there. you plug Al Gore in as a search okay. API server, then you also can set up your indexes using search API. So the mm -hmm. piece that you're talking about is like rather than using search API pages or views to actually interact with the server for searches, forget about all that. Just drop some JavaScript plugin yeah, in your, there. Your search box will be a little JavaScript you know, um, snippet yeah. that will actually put out the search box. Or I assume you could probably use any form. You probably really pretty easily code a form yeah. to do a search box. But then the page that would get returned would be all just JavaScript. Just, just all Ajaxy. And, and, you know, one of the benefits and one of the reasons why anyone ever needs to go to a solution like this is like, as soon as you start saying like, I've got more than one site, and I want to index the stuff from both of right, those sites. Right. Then you start going like, whoa, or like, you know, you've got multiple languages is another one of those mm -hmm. like facets you want to start slicing on. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like Drupal core can do that kind of stuff. You know, the search search API stuff can in Drupal core can work on that or not in core, but, um, you know, from contrib. Mm -hmm. But sometimes these, you know, custom search appliances have other things too, like, I want to sort by price and I want it to, you know, like show me all the blue things or whatever it happens to be. Like one of the reasons why you would go with a third party service is if you want some of those like more advanced um, spelling correction and stemming and that kind of stuff. And you don't want to have to set it up. You just want to push a button. You know, you're going to pay a little bit of money for it and you want to get a service out of it. So search as a service, I think, is a business because search is hard. Right. Every project like search question mark, like we have all these things that we know we want and then we want search and nobody can really tell you what they want out of search. But it's sort of like, I know it when I see it. 
I was amazed at how many of um, like third-party search providers um, were listed on that page. I mean, I knew there were a handful, and I assumed that there were some, but it seems like it's fairly big business. Yeah. Well, and um, I want to say, like, we mentioned Algolia, but that was just because that was the one I went down the rabbit hole. It was like, I wonder if they have a Drupal module. There are definitely other ones mentioned here, um, and I would say check the show notes for uh, more possible custom search options. Out so there. here's an aside for you on this topic. Should search API be in core and just replace Drupal's core search? I mean, I do believe that that was discussed at one point mm -hmm. was like ripping search out for Drupal 8, but Drupal 8 already was the rewriting of everything. Right, so right. at some point it was just like, where do we stop? Yeah. Yeah. Or should there even be a search in core period and say, always go to contrib for search? Which is what we really do now anyway, right? For, for all but the most basic of searches. Right. I, I kind of look at search API now the way I looked at WYSIWYG with Drupal 7. Right? It was it was one of those modules you're, you know, you're going to install on pretty much every site you build, except, as you say, all for the simplest sites. Yeah. Like my personal blog, no reason to have anything above core search. Oh. Drupal Easy website, I assume, is using Core Search. Yeah, not for long though. No. Oh, there's a little uh, little teaser. That's all I'm gonna say though. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's move on because this next topic I love, and it's something I've another thing I've been teaching a lot lately. Um, and I think we can we can dig into this one for a few minutes. Um, and it, it came from a um, I, I just finished writing a um, some curriculum on Drupal 8 configuration management. And going into it, I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted to teach and the contrib modules I wanted to get involved with um, as part of the curriculum and um, kind of the lessons and the exercises. But as I got about you know 80% done with it, I, I had a little bit of a cold sweat. And I, I thought to myself, hmm, I hope I'm not missing any contrib modules that people are using out there on a regular basis when it comes to configuration. Um, so I put it out there on Twitter, and um, luckily there wasn't really any surprises. There were a couple things that got a few more notices than I than I assumed it would. They would, but they were still all things on my radar. So I'm going to go down this list real quick. I'm going to say the list first, um, and then Ryan, you know, we can kind of dive into each one. Um, the two for me that were kind of the no-brainers were the configuration read-only mode module which, um, well, I'll just go into each one real quick, which allows you, um, let's say a production site, to literally make it so that admin configuration pages cannot be saved. So it's mm -hmm. impossible to like add a field on production. It's impossible to change a text format. It's impossible to even change the site name. Any, you know, any form that submits and saves configuration gets a little message up top and saying this you know, configuration on in this environment is locked. Um, and that's, if you can get away with that on production, I think it's great because it basically will prevent you from having configuration conflicts. Yeah. Well, and my very first question about this is, um, you know, 
technically turning on and off modules counts as changing configuration. Yes. So does that mean that even if I give someone permission to turn on and off modules that they can't do it? Correct. It's, it's pretty crazy, yeah. right? So you can't even turn this module off in order to turn off anything else. Well, like, I mean, and I could totally see, there are totally situations where you would want that to happen. The way but, this module uh, works though, is you can actually leave this module enabled on local dev everywhere else. It's actually a set, um, in order to enable it, it's via your settings.php. Right. So enabled, um, the module's always in it installed, we'll say. Um, but configuration doesn't change between local and production because you can have, you know, a different value in your settings.php for each, for each of those environments. Yeah. So, so what, when I talk to clients or when I teach configuration management, um, I, you know, I kind of put this out there as, as if you can get away with it, if your client is cool with, you know, not being able to change configuration on production and committing to the, you know, configuration changes get made on local or dev and committed and pushed up. Um, this will absolutely save you headache at some point because it will remove the possibility of um, configuration conflicts between production and, you know, something coming up into production. Yeah. All right. So module number yeah, yeah, that's a good cool. one. Module number two is probably the first one um, uh, I used once I started getting uh, you know really familiar with Drupal 8, Drupal 8's configuration system is configuration split. Um, it's a really elegant little module, um, and it allows it's used. I've only ever used it on local, um, but you can imagine if you're a module developer developer on local, you've got the develop module enabled, and maybe you've got some settings um, you know develop module configured a particular way. Um, and you know, you're working away in your custom module, everything looks good. And it, it, you have to export your local configuration, um, in order to, you know, push your changes up. Well, if you have the develop module enabled on local and you export configuration, suddenly all of your develop module configuration is now in the repository. That's less than ideal. So what configuration split allows you to do is create these different splits. Um, so that you can, during the configuration export process, you can send some configuration to the main config sync directory and some to another place. Normally, I just call it like local config. Um, so the configuration export actually gets split to two locations, only one of which ends up in your repository. The other one stays local. And then similarly, when you do the configuration import, it actually pulls it in from both places. So it doesn't really change what configuration import and export are doing. It just changes where those YAML files ultimately end up or get read in from. Um, hugely, hugely uh, um, just valuable for local development. Well, and yeah, I mean, I could totally see like this. This makes me think of another project too, which is uh, Drush CIMY, which I think is actually called Drush CMI Tools, which is made by the uh, Australian friends at Previous Next. You use this to say, when I import, you know, my configurations, 
don't import these because I'm on local right now and I don't care about changing these settings. Or when I do an export, don't export these because the settings I have in here are only for production. So, you know, like don't muddy up my my config folder with stuff that's somewhat environment specific. And I think there are probably other use cases for it, but that's kind of like the main one. I so that's, that's interesting because I haven't really played with that one. And that might potentially solve a problem that I have tried to solve in the past with configuration split. And that issue is where on production, you want, you know, let's say content editors to be able to move blocks around and change block visibility settings. So change the region, change the weights. Um, but you don't necessarily, you know, care if that ends up in configuration because, well, I, I don't want to say in configuration in YAML, you don't want that exported to YAML files because that stuff changes so often. Um, I wasn't able to solve that with config split, um, but it sounds like perhaps these CMI tools might be the solution there. I'll have to give that a closer look. Yeah, so in, in essentially what you do is usually if you're doing config import on the command line, you say, you know, drush cim for config import, and then there's a dash mm -hmm. y to say, yes, I accept all the, all the you know, things that are about to happen, which if you don't know what you're doing, I don't recommend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so this uses a, it's like a, a shortcut of that. It's, it's just cimy, and it's sort of like a alias to this more complicated form of config management. And it also lets you do this ignore file. So you can say, you know, if, if it's one of these kinds of files and it does some really simple glob pattern matching, then it will say, um, you know, skip. And I'm just going to read off of the project page right now. Contact.form.star, okay. right? So you could kind of see if you're using, you know, contact forms for your web forms on this site that you might not want the contact form settings to get moved around in all the places because people are making new ones, people are changing the fields, they're changing the labels, right? Things that admins might change regular basis blocks, like you say. Um, maybe things like the the site email address and uh, you know whether or not the sure. caching is turned on or something like that. So, all right, very good. All right, before we cover like the last two modules. Um, let me just real quick uh, get some Drupal Easy news in here real quick. Just want to mention, um, I just finished up the spring 27, 27, 2017 <laughs> version of Drupal Career Online. I think it was like our 12th session. It's crazy how many we've done. I um, just had a, a group graduate last week, um, so congrats to them. Um, but as soon as we finish one, we always start looking forward to the next one. So if you are interested in our 12-week Drupal Career Online program, that begins on October 2nd. Um, by all means, go to DrupalEasy.com and the link will be in the show notes. Um, perhaps even more exciting, um, I'm right now in the middle of the first, um, I've been calling it internally Drupal Easy plus Pantheon class. Um, the actual name is Mastering Professional Drupal Developer Workflows with Pantheon. Um, and this is a six week class. Um, same type of deal, meets three half days a week. Uh, but focused on Drupal 8 on Pantheon with Terminus and Composer and lots of configuration management. Um, it's, re it's really, if you need to build Drupal 8 site the right way, 
And especially if you are planning on hosting on Pantheon, this class is for you. Um, the next session uh, begins in mid-August. So we're going to do more than two of these per year moving forward. Um, I've had, you know, this is right in the middle of the first class. I'm absolutely loving teaching it. Um, I feel the curriculum is really solid. We're getting great feedback from the students so far. Um, a lot of kind of like eye openers uh, from the students, especially when it comes to using Terminus and how much time that can save you, um, as well as this configuration management stuff that, that we're kind of all knee deep in trying to learn and, and, and appreciate. So again, link to that will be in the show notes and on drupalizy.com. Okay, back to configuration management. Have you um, heard of config direct save module? No, um, not okay. until so today. So it's pretty interesting, and it's kind of, it's one of those modules that when people first use configuration management in Drupal 8, they're surprised that this is not like a core functionality. Because when you go to configuration development, configuration synchronization on a Drupal 8 site, you can see if there's any any configuration changes, kind of like a features diff, if, you know, so you can see like what's changed on your active configuration, which is your database, compared to the staged uh, configuration, which is what's in your sync directory. Um, and at the bottom of that, there's an import all button, you know, where you can click that button and it imports all of the configuration from your sync directory into your database and poof, you have new configuration. What config direct save does is the opposite. Um, it allows you from a very similar page in the UI to click a button and have the configuration in the database get saved to the file system. Um, so it's a way of, rather than having to, the way Core provides right now is there's a download configuration button, which download, you know, takes all the configuration, zips it up and downloads it through your browser, and then you have to you know, unzip it, move it to the file system, commit it, push it, and all that stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah no, this is amazing because I, I thought yeah, Core did yeah, this no, too. It's like, I, I never I never do it through well, the Well, it's kind so. of, you know, for me, it's it's one of those things that I can understand the need for it, but as someone who, you know, hosts, you know, who has sites hosted on Pantheon and Acquia, you know, both of those platforms have the ability to, you know, Pantheon calls it SFTP mode, Acquia Cloud calls it uh, like live server development mode or something like that, um, to be able to write code directly to the platform. Um, for me, I'm not a big fan of those modes. I like to keep things in Git mode at all times, just because it keeps the workflow, right? It kind of, it keeps the sanctity of the workflow where code flows up from local to dev to stage to production. Um, but I understand that that workflow is not for everybody. There are people who will never have a local development environment and they need a way to export their configuration as well. And they might be doing it site, they might be doing it from, from some other environment, but this is the module to kind of, to allow you to export configuration directly to the file system. So it's not a module I, I don't even want to say it, I, I wouldn't recommend, but it's not a module I use in kind of like my best practice workflow, but I can definitely see the need for it. All right, and the last one, I think we talked about this briefly before we started recording, and we're, I think, according to me, we're like 47 minutes, so we're gonna wrap this up in under an hour for sure. Um, configuration installer. Um, have you used this? 
Yeah, this is one yeah, I, so why don't I you use talk about quite this a bit. Like every day. So um, essentially, there there is actually kind of like a big gaping hole with Drupal Core in where it comes to this this. Uh, it's actually an installation profile, sort of, that when you want to have some configuration that you generated somewhere and you want to bring it into your Drupal site, there's like trying to figure out a good way to describe it without going like really uber technical. But basically it's hard to just import arbitrary configurations into a Drupal site. So what this module or that this install profile lets you do is say, I'm going to use this thing as my install profile. Then I'm going to take a bucket of configuration files that I probably have in my Git repository, but it could be from anywhere. And I want to use all of these configuration files as the configuration for this site. And you can do it in a couple of different ways, but essentially what this lets you do is copy the configs from one site to another in a really right. like which normally Drupal doesn't let you do because configuration is tied to the site's unique, universally unique identifier. So, yeah, and and you hit all sorts of weird problems when you try to do configs and like oh yeah the module that you want to you know like import some configs from is not installed. It's dependency yet craziness is what it like, is. Ugh. Yeah, so this yeah. I mean it's interesting. It's basically if. Um, it, I look at it as it's starter config, right? If Ryan, if you have a really cool site and with a really cool like IA and I'm like, oh man, I'd love to like start my site with the same IA as you have, Ryan. Like, oh sure, let me export the configuration for you. I'll send it over to you. And then I get the configuration. I install the config installer. It's not a module, it's an installation profile. It basically allows you to inject the configuration in during the installation process. And boom, my site starts out with the same configuration as Ryan's. All of his content types. Yeah. Right. And you know, another another way you could think about this is like in in the olden days, if you wanted to copy a Drupal site, but you know, like not have any of the content, you would have to sort of like use your powers of deduction and go like, okay, we need to delete all the nodes. And we need to, you know, truncate all the tables that start with the word field. And then we mm -hmm. need to get rid of the users and maybe this other thing. And like, uh, like moving from having a site to, let's say, you know, like a site that you could repeat several times, you know, not may maybe necessarily like a full installation profile, but like, I want another one of these sites without any of the content in it. And maybe you want it for development purposes. Maybe you want it to, to be able to run automated tests. For example, uh, that's that's what we use this for quite a bit. Is like, um, you know, where I work, Palantir.net, we have a configuration or what's it called? Continuous integration server that's called Circle that runs tests on our code every time that we, you know, push up a pull request. This thing will check out a copy of our code and it will install a copy of the site with no content in it using this config installer profile and then run BHAT tests, run PHP tests, run JavaScript tests, um, accessibility tests, a whole suite of tests against it that if I was sitting there and waiting for them to run on my computer before I had to check something in, 
you know, it would make my my development workflow that much slower. But because Circle does it for us, you know, we just wait to see if it comes back red or green. Um, <laughs> hopefully green every time. Never had red uh -oh. ever in my life. Um, but this config installer is what makes that possible because we're able to take all the configs from the production site, the development site, the, you know, the dev three version, whatever it is, and say like, I want all those configs on an empty Drupal site. And I just want to check the behavior of the site. I don't care about moving around right. megabytes and megabytes worth of content. No. So there's lots of reasons to, to want this. And like, it, to me, this is almost as essential to Drupal 8 development as Composer. Like, I feel like almost everybody needs to be using this. And if you look at the utilization of this project, it's well, really I put the caveat on like that. If you're doing that. automated tests, this is you know a great way to do it. It is. It is. Well, I mean, I'll play devil's advocate a little bit. I could see. I mean, if you're dealing with a site that has just a gargantuan database, then yeah. But if it's a smaller, I don't even say a smaller site, but a site that has a reasonable database, um, I don't think it's too onerous to expect the you know the circle ci to create an environment based on the code and a copy of the database i think the use case where like you said you, like you're talking about pushing around sure, gigs and gigs of data um that could get old real fast and that's where this module right well and it would also get into the sort of like philosophy sure, okay. of a behavioral test right like i shouldn't need to have content in order okay. to be yeah i can test. see that i can see that so all right, cool. Ryan, are you, you have any plans to be anywhere this summer? I haven't talked to you that much lately. So, ah. Yeah, actually, I am giving a talk at the American Library Association conference uh, in like two weeks, a week and a half. Um, that's Did I say Chicago already? I don't remember. Uh, it's oh. like 8.45 on a Monday morning, but it is about a project that I've been working on with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts that... Uh, stores all of their public records and it's sort of like a developer a librarian a data scientist and a pizza place <laughs> um it's it's pretty neat uh we've been working on for a while we have two hundred thousand public records that uh belong to the the state and they have this public records law that says you have to put these online in some proactive and machine readable format and we're using a drupal installation that's called decan that is used by a lot of different governments and uh we've got some apis we actually have the data scientist part is that their data scientists have written these um statistical analysis sorts of tools that they call a data predictor that says i want to determine what language as in spoken language so it's like is this document in english or spanish or russian and then um i also want to be able to look at this document and say like is this document composed of meeting minutes or is it composed of you know a decision about um whether or not some doctor should keep their license or what what sort of thing is in this document so one of the things our drupal site does is when we get an updated document we fire off a little web service call to this this predictor and they do some math and then they hand us back and they say we're pretty sure that this is oh, this is cool. a, a set of meeting minutes so please update is the taxonomy people, terms 
So we're going to show that off to a bunch of librarians, and they'll probably cheer and clap for exactly. us, or at least we assume. Standing up. <laughs> Can you put a link to, uh, to the presentation for. in the uh, show notes? Okay. Yeah. Um, as Perfect. soon as I find out. Right, any Drupal I camps or Drupal events them. on your uh, schedule? Uh, you know, in about okay, two I don't think hours, we'll have a podcast on time for that, but I'm sure it'll be awesome. If you if you are in uh, Oregon or Washington, the Portland Drupal meetups are really fantastic. And then um, at, I want to say in the fall sometime, there's an event they put together that's called DevZiner, which is not a Drupal event, but it is run by Drupal people. So there's, there's lots of Drupal-y goodness in there, but it's a sort of just like general web design slash developer conference. And it's it's really fantastic. Awesome, it's, uh, awesome. It's and where can people event. find you online? I go by Liberator, take out the last vowel. And uh, you can see some of the stuff that we're working on at palantir.net. And uh, really, one of these days, I will boot up <laughs> my other podcast, and we will be recording awesome things and talking about creative people and people who make things and generally like make something out of nothing because that's what. All right, and one me last question world. for you: favorite part of your honeymoon trip to Greece? Oh gosh, um, probably sunset dinner okay, I've, on I've the cliffside of Santorini uh, and just sort of like chilling out and uh, <laughs> not not being at work and not having to like pay bills and you know like as much as i love the dogs like you know there was just exactly. like no responsibilities no cares for two weeks just you're just somewhere no, else and you no you're need to nowhere and watch more. it's fantastic if you have never gone on a true and yeah. real vacation, like people out there, like you don't it changes know your perspective, doesn't like it? Until you go on a vacation. Yeah, that's the best part of vacation. Oh yeah. It really yeah. it resets it resets your clock. Like it's 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 <laughs> it's life affirming. It makes you realize that the world is better than the things. That, that is you a great way to wrap things up here. Um, real quick, I'm just going to mention uh, WebEnabled and DevPanel.com. We talk about them all the time. We know them. We love them. You should check them out. And that'll do it for us on Drupal-Easy. Oh. Well, and, and Mike, oh, where, where, where is your stuff? Drupal-Easy. At Drupal-Easy. Alta Mike. <laughs> they hear from me enough. <laughs> well, and also, um, yeah. do check out hey, you know our what we subreddit, should do right Drupal-Easy We podcast. should... We have a good friend who is – he claims to listen to every episode of the podcast. And now, now that we're at the very tail end, this will be like we can put a little Easter egg test for him. Um, so Jim Smith, you know who you are. He's currently hiking the Appalachian Trail from <laughs> south to north. I think last time uh, – I think he's in northern Virginia, somewhere in uh, the Blue Ridge Parkway, Shenandoah Valley uh, area. Um, so Jim – if you actually are listening to every episode of the podcast, I expect to hear some type of confirmation that you actually heard this message. It's a little test. I was going to say he should take a photo of himself listening, but he's probably I'll taking you, the photo photos he's been phone, taking and so posting um, on Facebook and his blog. He, I don't know what phone he's using, but he's been taking some really awesome photos. So. All right. Anyway, yeah. let's get out of here. We got to keep this podcast under an hour. Uh, Mr. Price, always a pleasure to uh, to hang out and talk to you for a few minutes. Thank you very much.
And we'll see everybody in the next Drupal Easy podcast. See ya!